ever were dreams that were lofty and noble. They were my dreams at the start. And the hopes for the life's best and the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. Well, my dreams turned to ashes, my castles all crumbled, my fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped them all and the rags of my life and laid them at the cross. And he made something beautiful. Lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And the hope for life's best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes, my castles all crumbled, my fortune turned to lost. Praise God! So I wrapped them all. The rags of my life and laid them at the cross, and he made something beautiful. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord's mercy, he made your life crumble apart by his mercy. He let our eyes be open to see who he is. I praise him that he just, he allowed my life, my world to crumble down that I might see him and the hope of his salvation and glory. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and grace. Praise God. If ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And the hope for life's best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. Well, my dreams turned to ashes, my castles all crumbled, my fortune turned to
and he made something beautiful. Praise God. He made something beautiful of my love. Praise God. Hallelujah. He can do that for anyone. Betty, come on up. I can tell you I'm nothing, and I will be telling the truth. can say I am worthless, a hopeless sinner, that's true, but that's just part of the story I haven't told you everything, for I was lost.
shoulder to lean on when I am so down. The rock where he leaves me when I'm overwhelmed. The place where he hides me is right under his wing. He's not just a song, but he's the reason I sing.
say this morning take hold of me hold on to me no matter what you're facing this morning no matter what trial or battle that you're going through hold on because the anchor will never fail hold on tight to the anchor this morning for whatever storm that you're in or whatever storm that you'll be facing he said I will sustain you hold on to him
Thank you for the offering today. We have a lot of needs today. A lot of people that's in need of prayer. And uh, God has been good to us. This is a new year. We have all expectations of God doing great things. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if this is, is that working? Yeah. Uh, I know that there's trials, there's tests that have come in every person's life. What uh, Dorothy talked about in her testimony, she's gone through some things. I know that there are young people here, young that may be young in Christ, young in age, and I know that they may have felt like sometimes they've learned all they need to learn, but I can tell you your whole life is going to be about learning. And what Dorothy and them went through, what different people are going through, is a part of God working on every one of us. And it's a part of God using his uh, love in us and his grace in us to reach other people. Last week I talked a lot about the, uh, about the laborers and the day that we live in. Today I want to talk to you about something real simple again, but we can't be laborers if we're not ready to go out into the field ourselves. And I, I believe God was dealing with me this week over this, so I want to bring it out. I want you to turn to Luke, the 14th chapter, if you've got your Bible. And I'm going to talk about disciples. I'm going to talk about being a disciple of Christ. And the reason I'm bringing that up, I look back at the uh, disciples, the 12 disciples, and I realize of who they were. Last week talked about them being the foundation of what the church is built upon. And I know that they had a lot of things they went through. But they went through looking at Christ. They, when they were called out, you look at Peter, James, and John, and, and Andrew, and uh, them. They were fishermen, and they were called out, and Jesus told them, I will make you fishers of men. And, you know, obviously that's uh, understandable. Somebody that fishes, understand you're fishing, you're holding your line out, you're putting your bait on, and that's exactly what they were to do, winning souls. Put the gospel out before people and have them to understand that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, the message, the Savior of the world has come, and all need him, all need him. And this church needs to be full of disciples of Christ, people that are following him, people that have given all to follow him. Because when I think about those uh, fishermen leaving, I don't hear them uh, going back. Peter obviously had a mother-in-law, so he had a family. I don't hear that Peter got up every day and went and did his chores, maybe went out fishing every day. He started to back when uh, after Christ came back from the grave, but Peter asked him, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I know that's what Jesus asked him. And from that day on, all you hear for the next 30 years of Peter's life is him in the gospel and him bringing the gospel to others. Him, the apostle Paul, they lived about 
what, 64 A.D., 65 A.D., about 30 years prior to after Christ had died and, and uh, rose again and left them with the gospel to finish. Uh, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because God has given us this generation. Our time is now. Our time to walk with Jesus is now. Our time to portray him before our friends, our family is now. Don't wait till you get older and think you're going to do something later. Don't think that it's when I retire. I had to have my mindset upon living for God. I kept praying, God, I'm out on a job I don't want to be on. I want to rather be at church. I would rather be doing this. I'd rather, but how many knows God left me right where I was at till I made up my mind I was going to live for him no matter where I was at. He can't use me. He can't open doors until I'm ready to submit to what he says. And that sometimes ain't our plans. Sometimes that plan kind of upsets us. Uh, but the truth is, God knows exactly what he's doing. I believe that. I trust that with all my heart. In the 14th chapter, I want you to go all the way. In Luke 14, turn to the uh, 25th verse. And in top of my Bible, they got a title above that. It says, The Cost of Discipleship. And that's what I want you to hear about. And I want you to think about what it costs to be a disciple of Christ. I want that in your mind today because I want you to think upon it. If God is preparing us to do a work, if God's preparing us for the labor of the end time, we have to understand who we're to be when we go out. I'm not waiting for somebody in a great ministry to hand me a program that's going to win thousands to Christ. I'm not waiting on that. I'm waiting upon what God says do every day before whom he puts me. And that doesn't have to be here. That could be anywhere God calls you to be and to what he's doing for you, what he's doing through you. In Luke 14, 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, How many made up members the day they got saved? How many knows when you get saved, you have surrendered yourself, you have found out that he will forgive me, he will make me a child of the king, I am one of his, but how many knows now I'm following him and the days come, it did for me, that he'll turn around and look me in the face and say things to me. How many here's what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you if you allow him to talk to you. If you're willing to say, Lord, I want to hear what you say to me personally. This is personal. Jesus seen this great multitude with him. They were following him. And he turned and said to them, If any man comes to me and hates not father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's kind of a hard thing to swallow. I love my wife. I love my children. I loved my parents. I love people that I know God gave me. And can I tell you something? This word hatred is a hard word to swallow because hate means something a little bit more stronger than just uh, putting Christ first sometimes. Sometimes it's, it is, but that's basically what Jesus is talking about and why is he saying this? Uh, number one, when, when God spoke of love and hate, 
And he spoke that in other places. In Malachi, he spoke about Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. How many knows it wasn't so much the hatred? God doesn't set out hating anyone. God not willing that any should perish. But God is doing a work and he has chosen, and it says that, he chose Jacob. When he chose, didn't make Jacob any better than Esau, but when he chose him, he loved him because he could turn him on, uh, around and make him to follow him. Present the gospel and he would follow. I've seen families where some in the family might be stronger following Christ than someone else. That doesn't make God love them anymore. But I can tell you right now, God chooses sometimes people in a family and sometimes he'll choose them because he's got a work for them to do that's going to help the whole family. When God chose Joseph to give dreams, how many knows when Joseph gave those dreams, it wasn't just because he loved Joseph more than the rest of them. No, he loved the whole children of Israel and he had plans to help them all out. And they all learned that at the end. They learned how Joseph, even though he talked about the great dreams he had and how they would bow to his sheep and all those things were said, yet it wasn't because God loved Joseph any more than he didn't love them. He loved the whole children of Israel. He had changed Jacob's family and was using them. But he had to prepare them. God puts people before us to help prepare us for our tomorrow. I mean, here's what I'm saying. You've got to understand, God's going to work on you all your life because you know and I know we're not perfect. We need work done on us. We need to grow up. We need to learn something. We need to know what it means to truly follow Christ in our own personal walk. You can come to this church. You can be submitted and committed to the church. And I talked about it last week. There's all kinds of people that comes under every church that are pillars. They seem to come. They came to, they came to submit and to follow the gospel the best that they know how and to support what God is doing before them. And I praise God because, you know what, I feel like that was things that God had me to do with my own dad. Get under it and support it. It ain't about me. It wasn't even about my father. It was about what God was doing. You know it and I know it. All of you trustees, you've been in these meetings time after time and you've seen the things the church has seen because God is trying to do a work in his churches and he's trying to make them lighthouses to the world. But he goes on to say, when this love and hate thing, I believe it just it simply, Esau was not chosen, but he didn't like it. How many knows that if you, like, if you see somebody gets a little more attention from God, you're almost jealous of that person. You'll either be envious in the good way and want to get near them and get, get around them so you, it'll feed off on you, or else you'll almost be jealous of them and hope they don't succeed. But can I tell you something? Watch the enemy because the enemy works in the hatred. The enemy will get inside of you, cause you to hate what's going on. He'll hate you'll hate your brother or your sister, cause mom and dad. Mark used to write a card. Uh, mom would send him a birthday card, and he'd take the birthday card and he'd write on it to your favorite son, and then he'd show it to me and say, "Look what mom wrote on there." 
and I knew him too well. <laughs> but <laughs> my mom probably that was his favorite. She was his favorite, I guess. That was that was her favorite, I guess. I, I'll let him have it. I'll let him have it. But the truth is, I knew he was playing a game. But sometimes, you know, God is doing a work in people. And I praise God for the people that I know in my life that I know God has used them. You know what? I look around and I'm glad they were who they were in Christ. I'm glad God bloomed them the way they were. They, did, they couldn't fill all the shoes. Our own Savior is Jesus Christ. Our own shepherd is Jesus Christ. You don't need anything but him and the presence of God that he gives us. With him, you can do all things. But if we keep looking at each other and we keep thinking all of its success and, and, and promises are in each other, that's not going to work. I went over and visited uh, Ken and Becky this week, and I said, Ken, I love you, buddy, but all those doctors can't give you what God can. God's your answer. He's always been the answer. And you know what? I love him. I don't want him going nowhere. I want him to stay. We need him. But I know God's doing what God's doing, and we have to submit to what God's doing. Sometimes that's not easy. Dorothy, that's not easy. Sometimes you don't like trials. Sometimes you don't like problems. But sometimes through the trials, through the rain, God will reach out and he'll begin to pull your loved one just a little closer, just a little closer. God knows what he's doing. It says in 26, if any man comes at, I read that. Let's read 27. It says, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Twice he said it. You cannot be my disciple. How can we be his disciple? If we can't figure out that we need to love him more than we love our father, mother, sister, brothers, children, you know what? That's, that's a hard thing for a lot of people. A lot of people cannot love God more than they love their children or love their loved ones. They can't submit that. They cannot release that. You know God's not trying to take them away from you. He just wants you to know that he didn't give you a temporary, you've got a family, you've got a temporary life here. You've got a temporary family. But with Christ, you've got eternity. And only in him can we all have eternity. How many knows that's a much bigger, and he's a much greater God than we give him credit. He came to pay our price that all who will come will have life. It goes in uh, 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. How many people have started with Christ? How many didn't count the cost? And when God said it's time to let go of something, they said, no, Lord, I can't do that. That I love. I've decided I'm going to hang on to that. And you know what? You can't live two lives. You cannot be, let me tell you, you can't be double-minded with God. He already knows your love, where your love is, where your heart is. 
You can't put people ahead of God. God has got to be first in your life. Hear what I'm saying because if you fall in love with him, he'll fulfill everybody around your life. He'll begin to use you to love them into this kingdom. He'll begin to use you just like those before you. I loved, my, I loved to play ball when I was a kid. Me and Mark, Sam, and us played ball. My dad would come and watch us sometimes. But can I tell you something? I didn't have to have my daddy there to know that he loved me, that he supported us. Pop had his own mission. And when I look back and I see us sitting up in Mount Airy Forest, and we're playing around and around in the forest, running through the woods. Dad's sitting up on a hill on, his, on a picnic table under one of them shelters reading his Bible. He's babysitting us. Mom sent him to the park with all his kids. We ran all over the place. But I'll never forget seeing my dad sitting up there reading that Bible. Why? He had a mission. God saved him. And you that heard his testimony, he didn't know how to pray, didn't know how to get saved. But when God saved him, there was no turning him around. And he didn't have one thing that was more important than God. Not one thing. And he loved every one of us. I know he did. Paid the price for it. This building, you have to understand it's going to cost. There's a cost that goes along with the building. For you to build a Christian life following Christ... It's going to cost you something. There's a cost for it. Some, sometimes you need to look back and say, I didn't count the cost. Because you know what we're doing? We're dying on the vine. We're stopping what we're doing because it ain't the same as it was when, when, uh, when Papa did it or when somebody else did it. The world's changed. I can't witness to people. Somebody said it, Connie said it this morning. They're doing their best to come into our military to stop them from praying, to stop them from calling upon God. Why? They're just beginning to get into our military and they're going to eventually come around and stop you from praying out loud. They're, they're working on it. They've worked on it in Canada. They're working on it anywhere else. They don't want Christ to be the center of your life. How many of those that's what the enemy's against? You put Christ in the center. You put your faith in Christ, and guess what? He'll move mountains, and he'll stop the enemy. But as long as we keep playing double-minded, it ain't going to happen. He goes on to say, Or what king going to make war against another king sits not down and consults whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him that come against him with 20,000. That's odds are against you. Let me tell you something. The odds are against you walking with Christ that somebody's going to actually love what you're saying. You'll find out they don't like you real quick. So you'll find out your best friends at your work will hate your guts. But it says the king... He's, he's consulting whether he can approach the, with 10,000 to fight 20,000. And it says, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires condition of peace. 
when he thinks he can't do it, he's, he has to send somebody, a king would send it out, somebody in advance to say, uh, let's have a peace, let's have a peace, uh, a peaceful time, a peaceful trial here, because I like to get away from this war that we, we're going against each other with, because he's trying to save, save face with it. But somewhere along the line, in, that, in our walk, listen to what I'm telling you, in your Christian walk, you have to believe what the Lord tells you to do, even if it looks impossible. How many knows what I'm saying? I don't care what the enemy's pulling against you. I don't care how much you're overwhelmed with what the enemy's doing. If God tells you to step up and step out, don't you ever think he's running short of people. Don't you ever think you're outnumbered. You're never outnumbered with him. And that's what he wants. He wants children that will believe him, have true faith in Christ. He is the victor. He is the overcomer. And as long as he's in us, we're overcomers. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Three times in this passage, Jesus is turned around and speaking to those following him, telling him three different times, you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to give it all up. Unless you're willing to put me first in your life. Unless you're willing to put all the material things, all of the other things ahead. You have to put him ahead of all things. And I'm going to tell you something, that's, that's hard to do. Some of you have worked all your life. You, you finally got to the place where you might have a little money in your pocket or maybe in a bank, and guess what? You begin to trust that. Don't trust that. Trust in him. Keep your trust where it's at because I'm going to tell you something. The world's got a way of leading you back into what the world's doing. It says salt is good, but if the salt is lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. Jesus is teaching something, isn't he? Over in John the 8th chapter, two verses, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, uh-oh, listen to this. If you continue in my word, then are you to my disciples. Now he's telling you, you can be a disciple. Connie, you said it, the word of God. If we don't get this word of God inside of us, if it is not just memorable words, but words in our heart and in our life, we will be defeated because we need that source of the food of God. We need his presence in our life. We need him to lead us and guide us. And that's why he's given us his word. That's why it comes forth. That's why when you come to church, you should hear the word of God. Whether you come to Sunday school, guess what? If you come to Sunday school, you're going to hear the word of God. And there ain't a Sunday school teacher here here to toot their own horn or to do anything that's programming. They're doing it from their heart. They're trying to do it from their heart to teach what they know you need. Wherever, wherever class you're in. It says, and you shall know the truth. 
He says, you'll be my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you, shall make you free. If we don't stick with the truth, we're going to get back bound. We're going to fall back into traps. We need the truth. And can I tell you, if you don't stay with the word of God and you don't stay with meeting with God's people, because I can tell you, that's where God sent people to gather together in his name. When I get into a, 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 even a Thursday night or any time, whether we're praying, whatever we're talking about, can I tell you something? I know God is talking to me. He's talking inside of me because his word is truth. And that truth will make you free. It'll set you free. I started to change. I didn't want to talk about discipleship. I wanted to do something else. And God kept saying, this is what. And when I got here, Marcia read a scripture. She read a scripture that I had already wrote down. And I thought to myself, well, I know God's pointing, you're pointing me right back to where I'm at. Let me tell you something. God knows what's going on here today. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And he wants disciples that are willing to say, I'm giving it up to serve God. Now, serving God may not mean you have to do what I'm doing or do something what somebody else is doing. It just means you've got to hear him, follow him, walk with him, surrender yourself to him, and that includes everything around you. Because you surrender it, guess what? Now it's God's to bless. As long as you can put him first ahead of all things, watch what he'll do with what, everything you've got. John, the 12th chapter. This is the scripture she read the other night. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. That's a hard one to swallow sometimes. You're supposed to hate your life in this world. Now, what does that mean? You know what? Sometimes I can sit down and I can even watch an old western. And that's usually about the only thing I can stand to watch. But I'll sit and watch them old westerns. And I will say to myself, they was teaching something bad way back then. They were telling something bad even way back then. Sometimes you can see right through it. And then sometimes I realize, you know what? The enemy's always had a plan. He's trying to get back in. He tries to tell us we need hobbies. We need something to do. No, we don't need nothing to do. We need to be surrendered to him. Because God can't talk to you unless you give him attention. you got to want to hear from him. He don't show up here if the people don't want him to be here when they get here. You know that's true? I believe when we pray and we come to church gathered in his name and when we seek his face, he will show up. When the singers listen to what God has said to them, when the, when the Sioux and those that's preparing for the singing, when they listen to what God is saying, then God will guide the songs and God will guide the direction. And all of a sudden, it's like the runway of the, of the Spirit of God is laid out. And the Holy Spirit will just flow inside and you can feel it and you don't know why it's here. You sit around you say to yourself, well, I didn't know they was going to have that kind of service. I'd have been, I'd have had my gym shoes on or had my running shoes on or something. You know what? Ain't God good to us? God blesses us when we don't deserve it. It says, 
in the next verse of John 12, 25, and then 26, it says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. God's trying to honor us. God wants to honor us as we represent Christ in this world. We, God's children, everywhere you go, you know. In Romans 6, verse 16, you've heard these scriptures. It's a very simple, listen to what he's saying. Verse uh, 16, Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God has called us to be obedient. And can I tell you something? I know Christ set you free and you are a righteous person. But can I tell you something? You've also got some sanctifying time to spend. You've got some time where God's trying to move inside of you, get more of him in you and less of me. Get me out and get him in. There's a walk to walk. There's a following to follow. If we're not willing to follow him, we'll never get no better. You've got about as good as you're going to get it. If you think it's because I'm young, I can do all these great things, and the old people need to get out of the way, let me do it. Let me tell you something. You need every Christian that's in this, in this house. Because I can tell you, I can learn off the little children. But I also learn from my elders. I learn every day how to keep faithful and true. I learned where to put all my hope. It's in Jesus. I've learned coming to prayer meetings how to pray. I've learned how to study my Bible from coming to Sunday schools and, and how to listen to the teachings and the preaching. I know what God's trying to do. He's trying to get in me. He wants to get all of him in me and get me out of the way. Then he can use me. It says, verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. There we are, back to the day we got saved. Back to the day when I remember Brother Bond saying, If you lose, if you would die tonight, where will you be tomorrow? And I, as a teenage kid, knew that I'd never been saved. That hit me just like somebody threw a rock and hit me in the head. Nobody saw me. Nobody knew. I just began that night to be under conviction. God began to move on me. The enemy had had a hold on me. But when I realized if I died, I'd miss heaven because I'd never been saved. Even though I was young, Ben, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand. You mean I've been in church this time and just because I know the Bible stories, just because I know the story of Jesus, that ain't getting me there? No. There come a time when I had to confess my sin and to pick up my cross and follow him. What is picking up your cross? Does that mean the things you just suffered? No, that means the things you will surrender 
to follow him. Jesus surrendered all, no limit to do the Father's will. That's what God's telling us. Surrender all, follow me. I need my church. I can hear him saying it. I need this church to stand for Jesus in this day. I need us to be that people. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about he. He needs us to be the people that stands in the gap for lost souls. We ain't trying to win no feathers. We ain't trying to put no crown on our head. We just want to see people come to Jesus that are lost and don't know. that they don't, They'll have no hope of heaven without him. It says, being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of our flesh. Our flesh is weak. For as you yield your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. That means we just went from sin to sin. We had used to surrender ourselves to whatever came up next that fancied our eye, to whatever the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh or the pride of life decided we wanted, then we went after it and never asked God. And when we got it, we just went from sin to sin to rebellion to rebellion because God wasn't in it. That's how we used to be. But he says, now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Praise God. Romans 8, two chapters away, one verse, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What's mortify mean? It means to put to death. Put to death the deeds of the body. Whatever's going on, Christian, in your life, that is the deed comes from the flesh, put it to death. It's time to surrender it to God. You can't do it on your own. You can't release yourself, but God can release you. He has the power for you to come out of that and be an overcomer. He can break your chains. You know what? You have to want that to change or it won't never happen. Colossians, the second chapter. Getting close to the end of it. Colossians, the second chapter. Look at verse 10. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about the circumcision that has gone on for years. The Jewish people were told to circumcise all the males. All the males had to get circumcised at birth around the eight, eighth day of, of that time, and except when they started. I think Abraham started it, and they had, uh, they had to circumcise all the men. But what it's talking about is cutting away. There's a cutting away when you come to Christ. When you have faith in Christ, there's a cutting away from the inside of your heart. You've been circumcised by Christ. 
You have been cut away, those things that had you bound in your heart. He has come and he is circumcised. He's cut them away. They don't, they don't, they don't have to control you no more. I mean, here's what I'm saying. It says, in whom you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hand, putting off of the body of sin and the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What does circumcision of Christ mean? It means to be buried with him in baptism. You go down, it ain't talking about water. That's not talking about water or baptism. That's talking about being down. I have surrendered myself. I died to myself and I come up alive. You die to the old man. You come up a new man in Christ. And that's what he's talking about in baptism. And wherein also you are risen with him through faith in the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which is contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. How many knows when Jesus went to the cross, he took your sins. You've been released. If you'll come and receive him by faith, you've been released from your sin. That's what he's telling us. He's telling you that he took it on his self, on his cross. He nailed it to the cross. It's gone. The Father accepted the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. He, re he accepted the Lamb of God. It says, And having spoiled all principality and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. What circumcision done physically, faith in Christ, does spiritually when you make up your mind I believe Jesus can set me free he will set you free you have to have faith to believe I have to believe that what he did 2,000 years ago for me when he nailed it to the cross he nailed my sins to the cross everything I've ever done and everything I've ever uh, done in the past, done in now, and even in tomorrow. He don't have to come back and die, but I have to come and bring them to him. And he has done nailed them to the cross. That's why he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's why he's ever interceding for you and I. I'm glad he didn't sit there for a little bit and get up and do something else. No, he's there till all of us come to the end of our life, he's there for you. He'll be there until the Father says, go get my children. It's done. I'm doing no more. That's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart. Not the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. Lord, cut away everything that's not of you. Cut away everything that's of me, Lord. Show me how to walk for you. Show me how to love like you love. Show me how to love the Father, Jesus. Help me to love the Father and to love what he cares about. Because, see, the Father cares about every soul 
I want you to think about it. You talk about hating your father or mother and the way that scripture says that. Can I tell you? Jesus was the son of the living God. And the greatest scripture, I believe, the greatest thing Jesus said on the cross to me, I saw it last night, I was praying, and I can tell you what I felt like God was showing me. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What's he saying? All of a sudden, the separation from the Father and the Son is there. You say, I couldn't hate nobody. I have to love everybody, and you do. But when he says, compared to the love of God, compared to loving Christ, there is no comparison. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because he knows what it's like to turn away from his heartstring and let him die on the cross. He knows what that means. You think God didn't love his son? God so loved the world, he gave his son. He surrendered him. We're made in his image. Moms and dads, until you turn your children over to God, you cannot control what they're going to do. You can do your best to teach them. God gives you that space and that time, and he gives you the love inside of you for, it, for, for them, and he made you to pray and seek his face for them. But it takes him to change them. Remember that. Prodigal father never chased down his prodigal son. He never went after him. He waited. He'd already taught him the truth. He waited him to come back. And I know that's hard for us to do. We all feel like i got to do something. But something is talking to God about it. Something is surrendering it back to God. Lord, I can't fix it. I only can tell you the faults I, I got myself. But I can't tell you. I did everything right. But I know you can fix it just like you fixed me. Praise God. Come on back up, Anna, whoever it is. I want you to look at one verse in Philippians. I want you to hear it. It says in Philippians, the fourth chapter, you've heard this verse all your life, but I want you to think about it because this is important. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, Paul said it, Whatsoever things are true. Let me tell you something. How do you walk following Jesus? You got to keep your mind and your heart upon him. You got to keep your focus upon the start. I started following him. What has hindered me? Listen to what I'm saying. What's hindered me? It says here, Paul says, brethren, whatsoever things that are true. Whatsoever things that are honest, whatsoever things that are just, whatsoever things that are pure, whatsoever things that are lovely, whatsoever things that are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Christian, you know what? If you don't keep your mind thinking upon these things, your character, your person will be drawn right back out to what the world's doing. You'll be listening to what the TV tells you. You'll be listening to what 
They tell you you need to buy, you need to have. Oh, I've got to have that new car. I've got to have that new this. I've got to have them new clothes. I've got to have all those things. My kids got to be in the best school. My kids got to do all that. I got to work at it so hard. But can I tell you something? Think on the things that are true, the things that are honest, the things that are holy and pure, the things that are just. You keep yourself upon him. In James, the fourth chapter, fourth chapter of James, the fourth verse, you adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? You think the scriptures told us that in vain? He has told us the spirit in us will lust to envy. We'll seek things that we should not seek. We'll go after things that God's already written that they're not for us. It says, but he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want you to hear that last verse one more time. He's basically saying, turn from the love of this world. He's saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why, why would James write this down? Why would he write it? Because he knew the day would come. He knew the day would come when the enemy would do its best to get back in your life. He knew the day would come when you needed to repent again. You know what? Sometimes we need to repent. Larry used to say it, repentance is your friend. You go to him and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, God. I've been double-minded. I've got my focus on everything outside of this church or outside of what God you're telling me to do. And that's why I can't go forward. We have to purify our hearts, not be double-minded. We have to cleanse our hands, whatever your hands are involved in that's sin in your life. I'm not your judge. I'm not trying to be. Sometimes I can tell you, my parents were living godly enough, they knew when us kids wasn't acting right. Sometimes in the church house, you can see people that's hiding from God. They're hiding from praying, they're hiding from Bible studies, they're hiding from testimonies. And then there's those others, it's like that's all they got on their mind. They've already come to the place where they've made up their mind. I'm not letting the enemy destroy me. I'm not letting him take me back down that path. You go down a path, you have to come back. 
We must love Jesus more than all others. 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a chosen generation. You know we're chosen. Christian, I don't know if you know this or not, but just being in the church, you're a chosen generation. Don't tell me that Moses was chosen, but Aaron wasn't. Don't tell me about, you know, somebody said it the other day, I think Thursday night. They were talking about Caleb. Caleb had a spirit in him that it says he had a, a different spirit in him, a spirit, a godly spirit. He was a godly man. But God didn't choose Caleb to lead the people. He chose jo uh, Joshua to lead the people. How many knows God knows exactly what he's doing? He knows exactly what he's trying to do in you and in me. But the church, we are called the chosen generation the church is called the chosen generation it's called the royal priesthood the holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light we're the chosen generation but if we don't show him show Christ to others we need to go back and we need to get a hold of him we need to rededicate ourselves. We need to find out if we're really disciples of Christ. Are we following him with our whole heart? Are we following him at all? Have we turned to him and away from the world? Because that's going to be a battle you're going to be at when you're an old person. You're not an old person here. You're an old person. I don't mean to offend you. We're all, we're all getting to that place. And guess what? The days... The enemy is trying his best to deceive us. He's tried his best. He was he never quits. Everybody stand if you will. Job in the 31st chapter of Job. I think from the first verse on down through there. The Bible says Job said, he was defending himself. He said, I made a covenant with the Lord with my eyes that I would not look upon the maidens. I wouldn't look upon anything that was not right for me to look upon. I don't know why I'm saying that. I didn't put that in there. But I can tell you the discipline, disciplining your eyes, disciplining your legs where you go, disciplining yourself from the things that you know that God has said get away from. It's a disciplined life. You have to keep filling yourself up with him because if you don't the enemy's coming back he's coming back to come in and he will tear you down and destroy you all he wants to do is keep you away from being in love with Jesus because if you stay in love with Jesus you can't be still you're going to keep moving forward praise God for his grace Praise God for what God has done all through Scripture. That's why it's so important to think on the things that are holy and pure, that are just and right in the eyes of God. Because if not, these old bodies, these old flesh, He will constantly come knocking on your door. While they sing, you need to pray. You come. Draw nigh to God.